people are really glad you're back, Leslie. <laughs> Which makes me happier. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts, as Paul has already said. And we'll turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And we'll read that chapter together. Um, keeping in mind that last, the last several weeks actually, we've been um, in Acts chapter 10, the beginning, if you will, of the opening of the door to the Gentiles. Uh, in Acts chapter 11, we'll actually see a report back to the church in Jerusalem and the beginning of the first Gentile church. Acts chapter 11 now, beginning in verse 1. And the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were part of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and a certain vessel descend, as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and a creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay, and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. The Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. As so I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I, should withstand, that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life." Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution of, that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which were in Jerusalem. They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Paul. Saul, I'm sorry. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it 
to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, uh, what a privilege again for us to be gathered in this place, to be united around the word. We would ask that uh, these words would be for each of us individually go to places that we need them, that would change our hearts, change our wills to match yours. And Father, we ask that it would be done exclusively through the Holy Spirit, who we recognize as being God, the Spirit, who teaches us, as Jesus even said, I must leave so that the Comforter may come. Father, we've been finding in the book of Acts how the Spirit comes on everyone, as it's stated even again in verse 18 of chapter 11, to everyone that believes in Jesus Christ. And Father, may He, and He alone be our teacher today. We thank you for those that have come here today. And Father, you know their individual needs, you know their challenges, their, the things that they're struggling and wrestling with. But Father, you are above all, all of that. And Father, you love them. May they recognize that through the tender touch, even as we go to the Word, as their hearts are moved by the power of the Word. Well, thank you for what you'll accomplish today through the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Well, in Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> uh, a very pivotal, a pivotal uh, moment in time, uh, the church is expanding. It's, it's actually been, uh, I think I maybe misspoke last week. Um, I said approximately, and it is, it's about 10 years from the point, if, uh, if we start in the Feast of Pentecost, where the Jews were saved first in the city of Jerusalem. That's where the, that's where the church began. It was with the Jews first. Um, but from that point to where we are actually in chapter 11, um, historians would feel that it's at least seven years has taken place for the Gentiles to have their first church. And one of the things we're going to discuss is that length of time that was necessary, literally necessary. It seems almost, why would it take seven years? Why? Well, can you imagine, uh, as Peter spoke his first sermon, if you will, in the Feast of Pentecost, and 3,000 get saved. Uh, I don't know what you think that would be like. That would be like gathering in one place 3,000 that just got saved. Think of that for a moment. Uh, how were you when you first got saved, when you received the call from Jesus Christ? You. There was a lot of things you didn't know yet, right? And can you imagine sending them out to evangelize the world? It's going to take time, isn't it? It's going to take foundation. And God is essentially doing all of that. Uh, in the, you think of the foundation that was laid even the preparation for the, for the, the, uh, the Gentile evangelization. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1, think of Peter. Uh, is he ready to go to the Gentiles? Not so much. In fact, it's interesting, as we've read today in chapter 11, uh, I can't think of another place in the, in the Bible where literally chapter 10 and chapter 11... The first 18 verses. Or, I'm sorry, the first, what would it be there? Um, the first, first 14 verses are literally word for word from the previous chapter. Now, again, th keeping in mind today, for if you have any kind of a computer assist or an app, you know, you can copy things. You can do a lot of things really quickly. But let's go back to when this was written. It was probably on a scroll. And the longest papyrus was probably about 35 feet long, which would be enough for one book. Are you getting this? That's about like me writing. 
<laughs> and my writing, I think it was even last week, somebody had asked for some prayer, and I'm scribbling, you can read that? <laughs> yeah, I can read that. But think of, think of, of, uh, of Luke, who was probably a very accomplished writer, don't get me wrong, physician, and was probably very... But to think of this now, he took, he took extra time <clears throat> through the Spirit's leading to write it again. <clears throat> What's the point of that? I think God is saying, this is very important. This is really, really important for actually literally to put the Jews and the Gentiles together. That, my friends, had never even been thought about. I mean, you couldn't even be in the same room. In fact, we'll find that in verses 1 and 2 that... <laughs> They're not very excited about this endeavor that Peter has begun. In fact, they're actually pretty ticked off. I can't imagine uh, Peter on his trip back. He's coming back from Caesarea to check in, if you will, with the group at Jerusalem. It would be like, you won't believe this. But guess what? Word had traveled before he got there. In fact, in verse 1, it tells us that... The apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Now, that, my friends, is not a thing of goodness to those that heard that. Oh, my goodness. Now we've got these Gentiles that are going to be so-called followers of Christ as well. This is not good, people. I mean, who can hear? Can you imagine the discussions in Jerusalem? This is terrible. In fact, the ones of the circumcision, which would have been those that were very legalistic. And if you remember back in chapter 6, we spoke of the fact that there were priests that would have served in the temple. Remember? And that veil would have been torn from top to bottom and Christ would have been crucified 3 o'clock in the afternoon on that Friday just before Passover. And they would have put that all together and say, he was the Messiah. But they would have been very, very legalized in the sense of following the law. Correct? Now, the group are the party of circumcision, which you remember last week, which is so good. God, God puts this stuff together. What would have happened if Peter would have went by himself to Cornelius' house? That would have been bad. I'll tell you why. It would have been basically Peter's word solely as a witness, and maybe he got it wrong. I don't think he would have nearly the amount of power or leverage that we would say that would have been with him with having six other men of circumcision going to the Cornelius' house as well as him. Now, there were in Egyptian law or even in Roman law, if you had a Roman will or a will drawn up, it was only effective if there were seven seals placed on it. Egyptian law would have said you have seven witnesses, but if there were seven witnesses, there was nothing more to the matter. Well, he adds six plus one is seven. And then we think of God's number as seven being complete. The whole point of the matter is, is that all of this was given leverage to convince the people in Jerusalem that the Gentiles had in fact received Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit fell on them just as before. Uh, Peter could have done a lot of different things. Uh, Peter was a hitter. He could have said, hey, wait a minute. You guys know who I am. Well, what I say goes. I'm Peter, the guy that has the keys of the kingdom. In fact, you remember when Jesus Christ asked who, I, who he was, I said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, You will have the keys to the kingdom. You just listen to me, guys. No, he didn't do it that way, did he? He rehearsed the entire event because he was as prejudiced as anyone against the Jews. I'm sorry. He was a prejudiced Jew against the Gentiles. And you couldn't be more separate. I don't know what, you know, we talk about racism today or all of the other things, the biases and, and segregationists. I'll tell you what, I don't know that you could have any further apart than a Jew and a Gentile. I don't think you could do it. And now the Jews 
are hearing that the Gentiles are literally going to be involved in the same church, the same body. See, now the party of the circumcision would have believed this. The only way anyone could actually be a Christian, a follower of Christ, to have the Messiah is to become a Jew first. Physically, going through the rite of circumcision. You needed to be circumcised, be a Jew, a, a, in, indoctrinated within the Judaism before you could find Christ. It was a channel two. Now think of that. Oh, that's not what Jesus said. That's not what the apostles said. That's what they would have said. Oh, Peter came back. Peter rehearsed it. And, uh, you know, we talked about this in the last couple of weeks as well. That all of these matters of God's preparation was absolutely crucial to the expansion of the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. It was absolutely imperative that it happened just the way it did. There's some things that, as a result of that, <clears throat> let's go to verse 12, because all of that is basically rehearsed. Oh, with one, with one exception, which we've talked about briefly, but in verse 1 it says that they were, uh, had heard of the, that the Gentiles had received the Word of God. Uh, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit, obviously. When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they were, they, which were of the circumcision, contended with him. How many have you been contended with? <laughs> you're smiling, you're nodding, you know that that's not a term of agreement. It would be somebody taking you on. It's almost the extended, it's an open phrase, if you will, which means they did it continually. From the first time when Peter showed up in Jerusalem, they were taking him to task. They were wanting to know, what are you doing? Why were you in the home of a Gentile? And beyond that, you literally ate with them. What is the matter with you? And then he says it just, he rehearsed the matter from the beginning. He's going to let God tell the details. The truth will expound or unfold it by itself. In verse 12, it says that the Spirit bade me to go with them. That's interesting. It wasn't anybody else. They would have known that he was as prejudiced as anyone as well. But there were six other brethren, he says, that accompanied me. We entered into the man's house. And he showed him that an angel had been there and that it was to call for him. And he says in verse 15, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Now, there's something as well. Now, he's speaking about an experience. He's speaking of the fact that God is preparing all of this. He has six witnesses in addition to himself to declare all of this, but there's something even more important than that. This is for us as well today. Um, I've heard so many people that will base their life principles on experiences, either of themselves or of someone else. Well, I know somebody that. Well, I did and stop. That's a timeout. When I hear that, that's a timeout. Or have you heard this? I've heard it in the news many, multiple times over my lifetime. God told me to. And usually it's followed by something that is like, oh my goodness. Like, like somebody, God told me to kill that person or to whatever. Experience does not derive sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is derived from God's word. Your experiences need to be backed up by God's word to be true. That's really, really important. Now, here's, here's what Peter does. He expounds upon what happened. He has these six other witnesses. But then he says in verse 16, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, Jesus said this, 
John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. In fact, you'll find that. It's uh, from Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. But just turn back to Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus' last words that he's giving to the disciples before he leaves, he in fact does say that. Verse 4, chapter 1 of Acts, And they were assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. These are Jesus' own words. For John, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And Peter's putting that back together. So wait a minute. We know that we were baptized at the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. You guys are recipients of that. You know that the Holy Spirit fell on us. And just like that, the Gentiles in Cornelius' house have the same spirit. Whoa. Now this is a lockdown, isn't it? In fact, look how they respond. Oh, Peter says something that's even, it's, he lays it out there. For as much then, verse 17, as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? <laughs> there it is. Now, did you see who received the Holy Ghost? Those that believed on him. That verse right there, I have, I have it all underlined because that's how you get the Holy Spirit is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an additional earning. It's not a wage you get if you follow. If I follow Jesus for nine and a half years and do 49 spiritual push-ups and do some spiritual pull-ups, eventually the Holy Spirit comes on me. And then I have all of these other, no, 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 a thousand times. No, it is a gift. In fact, it even says that in verse 17. It says, gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I did in the way? Now, verse 18 is a pivotal verse. This is truly, now, in other words, if you would have, Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to go to Samaria, and I want to go to the uttermost parts of the world. So who's going to go to the uttermost parts of the world? Exactly. No one. Because anyone that's outside of Jewry, uh, they're not part of the package. So what would you have to do? God would have to prepare the, do the groundwork. You're going to have to have someone that desires to go to the Gentiles or the uttermost parts of the world, right? With the message. So watch this. Uh, these, this group of the, of the circumcision says in verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace. They were done contending and glorified God saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. That statement right there is absolutely imperative that they would grasp that before they would even have any urgency to go and minister the word of God to anyone else except for Jews. That right there is probably a most important verse, certainly within the Gentile evangelization, but also in the book of Acts. Things are changing at a rapid pace. Now you say, wait a minute, it's not rapid. That's true. It's been at least seven years. Uh, God is doing the foundation work. He's laying it out. He's getting people. Well, think of this now for a moment. The apostles who were laying the doctrinal groundwork. In fact, you remember after Jesus Christ uh, would have been risen from the dead, he starts to do some expounding upon the Old Testament scriptures to the disciples. Remember the road to Emmaus. There's those disciples that were, they were, they were, they were distraught. They were done. They were leaving town. They're getting, they're going home. They're finished. And all of a sudden Jesus pops in and do this little walk. Where are you guys going? What's up? What are you, you like from not around here? I mean, we just, we just crucified the Messiah. Really? Tell me about it who happens to be the Messiah. And then it says that he expounded, he opened the scriptures from the Old Testament. Obviously, the Old Testament, they didn't have the New. 
and showed them where he was all through that Bible, all through the Old Testament. Guess what? That's where the apostles would have got their doctrine to lay the groundwork for the beginning of the brand new church. 3,000 were added the first day. I, I just can't even imagine that. Uh, Sheridan's got what, six, seven hundred people? 800 maybe? Take that times four. These are new Christians. How are you doing? What are they ready for? They're ready for teaching. They're ready for doctrine. Just like that's, you want to build a church? It's not potlucks. It's not fun and games. It's not little, right? What is it? Teaching. Teaching the Word of God. They adhere to it. And you can see that even, we'll get onto it in a moment, Barnabas followed that same pattern. Chapter 2, verses 42, 43, that's what they did is they taught the Scriptures. Well, as we go to verse 19, the church of Jerusalem has been appeased, shall we say. They're on, they're on, I'm not going to say they're on fire yet, because if it's someone that you've hated for your entire life, and all of a sudden someone is, you're going you're to be sitting like this for a while. That's going to take me a minute. That's going to take me a minute. Uh, they were struggling with the Samaritans, right? You know, think of it, the family trip from Galilee to Jerusalem would have been, oh, no, 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 son or daughter, we, we, we don't go straight south. No, 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 no. Those people are half-breeds. We don't go through that place. We got to take that trip to the east of the river. And we, well, Dad, it's a lot further. That's okay. Because we're, we're us. They're them. That's what's going on. All of these walls of prejudice have to be broken down. Where do you think the walls of racism and wokeism and all this other nonsense is taking place in the world today? Where do you think that's coming from? Exactly the same place as where all of the divisions over time have been that God is a lover and no respecter of any man. He would all come to the repentance, right? It's the same deal. I don't care if you're black, white, purple, pink, or whatever other color or whatever gender you think you are, you have to find Jesus Christ to be saved, period. And the really cool part is, Jesus died for all. Aren't you glad that he wasn't, oh, I'm so sorry. You're the wrong nationality to be saved. Or, oh, I forgot about you. Hmm. What are we going to do now? No, Jesus Christ died for everyone. His sacrifice is valid for every person. Isn't that cool? That's a God of love, isn't it? That's the God I want. That's the God that I follow. And, I'm, I'm, and by the way, if that's the case, then I think it's okay for us to follow his rules, his way. Jesus said when he was on the earth, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes on the Father but by, by me. That is a very, quote, unquote, exclusive, biased, bigoted statement that Jesus said. No, it's a true statement by God. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Now, as we go to verse 19, we're actually, go back to Acts chapter 4 for a moment. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8. We're actually, all of this material we've been going through from Acts chapter 8, verse 5, and on to verse 18 of chapter 11 is a parenthesis. So let's go back. And if you remember in Acts chapter 7, it's Stephen had been martyred. And we know that in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, which you just caught up to me now, it says, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Okay. Now go back to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 is like diving right back into that motive, the disbursement of persecution because that came about from Stephen's death. So let's pick it up there. 
Uh, Laramie, while we're, well, we're going to begin reading, if you could find like Paul's missionary journeys, something, any of them, I think, from first through third, let's throw it on the wall because we're going to have to find some geography, get ourselves lined out where we're going. It says in verse 19 that they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, or Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to, whoa, none but unto the Jews only. Now think of that. That would have been very, let's, let's take all of our timing back now to where the martyrdom of Stephen took place. That would have been very much non-Gentile oriented, correct? None of this had happened. This time of preparation of God laying it out has just begun to take place. Let's see. Paul, you said we had a marker here. Did I? You're right. All right. Thank you. All right. How does it work? can tell I'm technologically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a talent, yes, sir. And the button is, there we go. Look at this. Adventures with Larry, right? Yeah, this is great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So here we go. At, at Jerusalem, that's where all of the church had begun. Um, that's where Stephen literally was martyred. The Jews uh, took to task, that, and I'm talking about the response. And this is interesting. It's the same thing for us today. If you preach Jesus Christ... Uh, not everyone's going to be okay with that. There's going to be those that have been prepared by the Holy Spirit. Their hearts will be opened and they will believe and turn to Jesus Christ. Um, if you remember the Sanhedrin, 69 and 70 with the high priest, they would have been witnessed to as well. I mean, can you imagine? They call them in and going to reprimand them, and all of a sudden Peter breaks out in a sermon. He, relay, he relays Jesus Christ to the Sanhedrin, and it's like, ah, right? I can't stand this. So their response was very harsh, very, very shall we say, as much vehemently as you could be against something, that's the response, okay? Well, that's all taking place in Jerusalem. So, upon the persecution of Stephen, the things just start to break loose. I mean, things are just expanding because of persecution. And you find it even today. Uh, take some of the, the Muslim nations or in China. The church is growing rampantly because of persecution. That's what happens. But persecution actually makes the word stronger. So, at any rate, it says that they went to Phoenicia, so you'll see that's to the north of Jerusalem. And it said that it's actually, you see Cyprus, you see Cilicia. Now, if you notice, Tarsus is in Cilicia. What do we know about Tarsus, just as a side note? Who's from Tarsus? Saul, Saul and, or will become Paul. And I, you notice, I can't even read Saul as Paul. I may read Paul as Saul, but at any rate, he's in Tarsus. Now, one of the things that's taken place is he, after being saved on the road to Damascus, which we don't, I'm sorry, on the road to Damascus, which would be uh, toward upper Judea, that, that's not on this map, but at any rate, he would have then come back to Jerusalem and the apostles, the disciples, I should say, primarily wanted nothing to do with him. They saw him as a Christian killer. So he actually ended up going back into this region in Sirius, Cilicia, and his hometown was Tarsus. He was there for at least five years. He was getting what? Foundation. He was getting growth from God. The Holy Spirit was teaching him where he wanted him to go. Now, there's words that we saw in, in this, uh, you know, Phoenicia. There's a couple of things here that you, I want you to really keep in mind, and that's Antioch and Seleucia, which is not named very much, but it's the seaport of Antioch. There's about 16 miles between those two cities. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. It seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Uh, you'll have Antioch here and then uh, Rome, which would be all the way over there. That would have been number one. And where's Alexandria? I didn't load my searching. Did anybody see it? Okay, well, uh, Alexandria, Rome, and then number three would have been Antioch. 
there's between 500 and 600,000 people. So nearly the state's population, I think Montana has a population of 800,000 plus or minus. Um, think of that in one city, the main street would have been four miles long, it was thought to be, and it was paved with marble. Four miles of paved marble. So there was some affluency here. It was very popular and you also notice that, uh, well you maybe not notice it, but there was a lot of byways that would have come from all different angles for economic tra traveling. Uh, Seleucia would have been at seaport and would have opened it up to the world. That's how it grew. So five to 600,000 people, very Gentile and Orient, but literally this became a Jew or a church, if you will, for Christianity. This was the home base for the church early on. Jerusalem, not so much, because why? They rejected Christ wholesale. You know, it's, it's the same thing today. Jerusalem, the number, I don't know this, but how many Christians are in Jerusalem? Well, not very many. Messianic Jews, not very many. But the point of the matter is, is God used Antioch to literally propel the church into the entire world. 500,000 people. It was a large place. There was a, and there was actually, uh, thinking about it from a religious standpoint, uh, very, very uh, immoral. Um, maybe Corinth was, had surpassed in that regard, but there was a, a Greek goddess called Daphne, which supposedly was the lover of Apollo. There was temples, there were shrines. They actually had a, I'm going to call it a park. Uh, it was 10 miles in circumference. That was all about uh, worshiping Daphne in the most... The most immoral thing, I can't even say all of the things that was practiced there. This was, this was, this was the principal portion of what's taking in Antioch. And this is the place that God's going to take. This is the place that God's going to start the first church of the Gentiles. Whoa. Isn't that kind of how God does that? He goes wherever, wherever, wherever the strongholds are. And it says that uh, they were preaching to none other than Jews. And watch verse 20. This is something that's very interesting. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Okay, so here we have Cyprus, right here, this island. And uh, this, this, this region, they would have been coming from this region. And all of a sudden, they're in Antioch, and they are preaching to the Grecians, those Greek-speaking people that would have been Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, notice something. To the Jews, how was Jesus Christ preached? In Jerusalem. What was he seen as? They called him Jesus Christ, Christos, or the Messiah. Christos equals Messiah. Uh, what would the Messiah meant to people in Antioch? Zero, nothing, who cares? We don't have any different, we don't need to know any about that. But it's the Lord Jesus as a Savior. He was presented as the Savior. And it says that the hand of the Lord was with them. Who's them? These men from Cyprus and the Cyrene, who were the founders of the first original Gentile church? We have no idea. Isn't that just the way it should be? We have no idea. It would have been someone from Cyprus and Cyrene, someone that would have been sought. Wait a minute, they were Jews. By the way, they were Jews preaching. The hand of the Lord was with them. Them, who's them? Verse 20. And some of them, who's them? Those that were preaching from the persecution of Stephen to the Jews only. They were Jews. These Jews actually expanded to the point and were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ to Greeks, to those that would have been Gentiles within this region. That's a little different. See, Larry, the, the Jews would have been, had the Old Testament been looking for a Messiah all these years and years and years. What were the Gentiles? Were they, were they looking to anything? Or, I mean, they just, I mean, what, was there any... 
Really nothing. No, they're just, now, there's a, there's a spot that God placed within each, each and every human being. It's a place that only God can fill. That's why you can tell a, a three-year-old, I don't know, there's necessarily three. You can, have, you can take that little boy or girl at a very young age, and they, their concept of God is easier to get than it is for someone that's been quote-unquote educated. That's the way God made us, right? They're very open to the sense of, you know, you look at the, sky, the stars, and, and it's amazing how many questions that a kid can have. Well, why? Why? And you can walk that why back. I don't know, right? It's that a parent can only go so far. But the point is, is that because God made it, and they're okay with that. A young child is okay. That's the way we're made. Uh, a Gentile, coming back to that, what were they? Were they looking for a Messiah? Of course not. No, no, no. But, you, but in Romans chapter 1, we might have went there a week or two ago, remember? It literally, creation itself, design, the design of creation drives us to a much bigger God than we ourselves could actually be, right? Evolution's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Literally the dumbest thing possible. It just happened? Really? Huh. That's stupid. I, I'm sorry, it's just stupid. But that's okay because what the problem is, is if you don't have something like that to believe, then you're going to have to believe that there's a creator. And if there's a creator, that means you're created. And if you're created, that means you're responsible to the creator. That's a problem. That's a problem. So it's better for us to feel something that's really, really stupid. Right? Actually, it takes more faith, but it's really dumb. But the Gentiles, it, and almost all Gentiles, they were still, you see, they're worshiping gods at their level at their disposal. It was something that actually served lusts of themselves. They were, you know, these temples were filled with prostitutes. It was filled with diabolical and immoral things. But were they searching for something? Not really. Now, here's the other thing that adds to that. Let's go all the way back in the Old Testament. Think of the Jews, how God had, and even Abram. Let's go all the way back. Abram would have been the one that God really put his hand on, right? He says, I want you to go a place that you don't know where it is, but you're going to follow me. Uh, and it turns out it's 900 miles, right? I remember one time in my life when we had left Livingston, um, we had, my, my father had lost everything. We, um, financially, we didn't know where to go. I mean, a realtor, a friend of, I mean, just a friend of a realtor, and we meet, and he says, there could be a job, could be, could be, maybe a ranch in eastern Montana. Now, I don't know if you've done that before. You just load your stuff up, and you go east. That made Genesis chapter 12 real to me. I'd read it many times, but that's what that felt like, right? And God had a plan. He had a purpose. But the faith that you need to just, God, I'm yours. I don't know where we're going, but I guess you know. That's what Abram, he went. That's faith. By faith, he believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So God has placed his hand on Abram. People are starting to watch him. They're starting to see that God has his hand on this man. And if you're part of him, you're blessed. You know what? We're blessed today because literally Jesus Christ came through that arm, that linkage, if you will. But something broke down. God didn't choose the Jews because they were better. Now, that's what the Jews thought. In fact, we're struggling with that even on our lesson today in chapter 10 and 11, right? They felt that we're Jews. God loves us more than anyone. No, God is not a respecter of persons. You can even go in the Old Testament and find that. Why did God choose the Jews? Specifically, I don't know because God is God, but I'll tell you why he did choose someone was to literally, if they would have followed him, 
if they would have literally just adored him for all of the love he gave to them, then the rest of the world would have saw who God was in them. But they didn't get that right, right? They kind of went and wandered off over here and God would say, go ahead. I think that's what God's done with America. Go ahead. Yeah, see how that works out for you. Have you ever seen a more screwed up place right now than this? It's crazy. Why? God has given us over to a reprobate mind. Can't think clearly. And you know what? Finally, in Egypt, after enough time of slavery, they said, God, where are you? They cried out to God. And guess what? Okay, here I am. And he brings them back. You know what? It'll be the same for America. If we ever, I'm not saying we will. I think we're really close to the end of the end. And I don't find America or USA in Revelation. We're usurped or swallowed up by something or somewhere. And I can make a case for lots of them. But the point is, it's still, if we would turn to God and repent, God would be right there. And you think that that's not... Remember Jonah? He went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very large city. And it was so anti-God. It was so immoral. It was incredible. In fact, Jonah, I think he had a bit of prejudice walls built up as well, right? Follow him for a minute or two. But he finally got it. I don't know. I probably would too. If I go the wrong direction, 900 miles and a fish. And then puts me on the beach and God says, Jonah, I would. Yes, sir. Right? But he was still, there was an edge. There was something in him that just didn't want to go there. And yet, the king of Nineveh recognized from the short message that God gave through Jonah, we need to repent. And guess what? God said, that's what I was looking for. It's the same everywhere. It's not any different. This is a really, have you noticed this is a really long answer to your question so far? I'm not even there yet. I'm not even there. But isn't it interesting that the Gentiles had been failed by the Jews' response to God? So did they want God? Did the Jews God? No. Uh, Rahab did. Remember that? Because they saw what happened coming out of Egypt. And they were, fr- they were afraid of them. And literally those spies came in and Rahab stepped out in faith. She hid those spies in her place after which she could have been killed and all of her family. She took a stand. She took a choice. She said, I'm going to choose you because I know what your God did. Okay, now that's very few. There's not very many Gentiles that are that way. The Gentiles are on their own page. In fact, they thought the Jews were nuts. I mean, we don't need any of that. But there was still a place for God somewhere. Now, what's interesting is we saw Cornelius. He was spoken of as being a devout man, someone that was searching for God. He was religious. In other words, he's trying to find all of his stuff. There's many religions today that people get involved with because it's like they want to appease God. And I could name them, but I'm not here to do that. That doesn't matter. If, if you're in any kind of a religion and you're trying to do works and you're trying to appease God, you're in the wrong place. Now, let me say that one more time. If you're trying to appease God through works, you're in the wrong place. Did you guys get that? Good. Because that's not what the Bible says. But God in his grace will continue to get, just like he did Cornelius. Cornelius was devout. He was righteous. He was looking for God. And God gave him more and more and more. If you're seeking God, God will give you the answers. 
And lo and behold, what did he do? He tells Peter to come from Joppa to Caesarea. He sends these three guys. The dreams coincide perfectly. I tell you what, that is a fantastic story, how God prepares all of this for these people from one another. And he gets there, and then he doesn't even get done with his sermon, right? He's like halfway through. I don't even know if he was a quarter way through, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, which meant it was obvious they believed what Peter had just laid out. Whoa. Now, that would have been the recipient of a Gentile that was seeking God, the true God, not knowing where he's at. Now, in most of these cities, so you take Corinth, you take the Roman Empire by and large, they were into self and self alone. And there are really two gods in this. There's, there's two gods. There's the real God and there's self. Everything else revolves around self because even the religious people, and I'm saying that those that are reaching up to God, literally, it's about promoting yourself. As long as you're better than the other person below you and you step on top of them, I'm okay. That's what, right? There's only really two gods. So the Gentiles would have been a lot about self. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's, gee, that sounds familiar. Hmm. Right? But there were a faction that would have been seeking a higher power. But the Jews had really actually displaced the favor towards God because they'd seen. I mean, if you're a Gentile and you're watching the Jews, and you're, huh. Isn't that why it is when somebody tells you you're a Christian and they, there's no difference? Well, what if you were indicted? What if there was a grand jury and they indicted you for being a Christian? Is there enough proof for you to prove that you're a Christian? That's a good question for all of us, right? Most of the Jews, they follow after God, really? So the Gentiles really had no interest. Just, just make it up as they go. What's fun? What's, what's good? Uh, and Antioch would have been no different. Did that help or not really? That was a long-winded. But isn't it amazing, though, how, what God's plan was and how it was thwarted by the fact of the submission of the will was never there? How many things do you think would happen in our, in, in the, in our world if all the Christians followed and did exactly what God wanted them to do? Ooh, that's incriminating, isn't it? Yeah. That's how God works, though. His sovereign will and his submissive will of man. Let's see, where were we, where were we, what were we doing? Yeah, let's, let's get uh, da, 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 verse 21. Oh, yeah, look at verse 21. Uh, there's some that have, that have stepped out. They're building a church of Gentiles in a Gentile area at the hands of Jews. The hand of the Lord was with them. That's the power. When you see the hand of the Lord, it's power. And a great number believed. And you do, What do you have next? What's the next word in your Bible? What does it say? Before that. And. Did you see that? It's not enough to believe, is it? And wait, you say, wait a minute now, Larry. Isn't it by faith, grace by faith? Yep, but here's the deal. Do you think the demons do not believe that there is a God? Oh, yes, they do. They know that, there's, that their doom is sealed. But does that make them? No. There's no turning. Your belief, if you truly believe, that's what Cornelius did. When, when Peter unfolded the message, they believed and they really believed in the sense of they were ready to turn and go the right direction. There's a difference, isn't there? You can see it by, how do you know someone's a Christian? By their f- fruits. I was, you guys were struggling to follow me, weren't you? <laughs> by, your, by their fruits, you will know them, correct? That's why you take somebody that says they're a Christian by verbal, and then you watch their life and you say, huh, doesn't look like it, right? What does that mean? They hadn't turned. They may believe there's a God. The demons believe there's a God, right? That's not new information. What are you going to do with it? It says they turned unto the Lord. 
Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Now think of this for a moment. The word comes down from Antioch that some Greeks, some Gentiles had been saved as well. Um, and they're coming from Antioch and they're all coming down. The word came down to Jerusalem. Now the church still headquarters, the hub is in Jerusalem, still in Jerusalem. The word comes and there's, there's new believers in Antioch. What are we going to do with that? We got to send somebody, right? Well, what if they would have sent, let's just say someone that was saved, but kind of like, kind of lean towards the, I don't know if they were left or right, but we'll say they were really far to the right. They're so far against the wall and they're a Pharisee. They're kind of legalist. What if we sent that guy to Antioch? You, you ever heard about having the right person for the right job? Boy, that's something I struggle with in my business because I want to get the right people in the right place. Isn't it amazing? You got the wrong people in the right, in the wrong, you get the wrong people in that place. <sighs> Poofski, right? You know what I'm talking about? Could you, you couldn't make it much worse. It could be the right time and the right place, but if you have the wrong person in the seat, that's why we need to pray about that, don't we? We need to pray about that a lot. So the church is wondering, now who should we send? <sighs> who should we send to Antioch? They've already they've pretty much just pushed Paul off. He, you know, they, they don't trust him. But there's that guy. Let's see, now where was he from? Uh, what was his name? There was a guy from Cyprus. See, there's something about sending someone that's from the area that would know the people. That makes sense, doesn't it? And that guy's name was Barnabas. Barnabas. I don't know what turned these flies on today, but they're, they're <laughs> on it today. They're on it. But I don't care, right? We're going to study God's Word. So if you take Antioch, there's a guy from Cyprus who's called Barnabas. Let's go back and find him for a moment in chapter 4 of Acts. This is finding the right guy for the right time in the right place. So let's go down to, uh, to Acts chapter 4 and verse 35. These are making provisions for that early church. And it says that, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, verse 35, chapter 4 of Acts, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Their needs were being met. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, uh, you know, did they call him Barney? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, he seemed like the guy. He doesn't seem like a Barney, though, does he? Yeah. But, but look at this. Uh, Barnabas, it says, is being interpreted as the son of consolation unto us. That sounds a little bit stuffy. You know what consolation means? Encouragement. This guy could encourage anybody. He, he was just that guy. He could come into a room and you'd just feel good about yourselves. He would just lift you up. That's who Barnabas is. And they said, let's send him. Let's send him. That's the guy. Oh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Just stay where you were at. I didn't, I left. And it says actually in chapter 4 that he was a Levite. That means he was a Jew of the Levite tribe and of the country of Cyprus. Where's Cyprus? Right there. Where's Antioch? Right there. He would have been a hometown boy. So the church says, let's send Barnabas. Let's go see what's going on. So I'll get back to Acts chapter 11. Let's watch him in action. says that he should go as far as Antioch. Which, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you that. Do you know how far it is from Jerusalem to Antioch? Doesn't look very far on that map, does it? It's about 300 miles. Uh, in other words, if you're going to go to Antioch from Jerusalem, you might not want to take a backpack with you. You're going to want to think ahead. A tent, you want to kind of, you know what I mean? It's not a 
overnighter. It's a go-getter. You want to get there because you want to get there. So Barnabas takes off. When he came, verse 23 of Acts chapter 11, it says that he saw, he had seen the grace of God. Okay, now I want to, now again, we just cruise through this, but let's for a moment now. Here comes, here comes Barnabas. Now, what do we know? Let's tell, what do we know about Barnabas? Let's, let's, let's lay this out. He's an encourager. That's correct. What else do we know about him? He's from Cyprus. That's where he would have came from. And he's a Levite, which makes him a Jew. Okay. That's where I wanted to get you to. He's a Jew from Cyprus who is part of the church in Jerusalem. He's going, what's his job? What's his job? Why did he go to, why did he go to Antioch? Not even teach. See what's going on. Is this stuff real? I mean, you know, the, the church of Jerusalem here is, ooh, some serious stuff's going up in Antioch. There's people that say they're following Jesus, but they're not Jews. Ooh. Who are we going to send? Well, let's send the guy that we know we can trust him. We know that he's going to think the best of the situation, but let's see what he says. So I want you to get that because he didn't read chapter 10, Barnabas of Acts. Oh, wait a minute. They didn't have the New Testament. Oh, wait a minute. They didn't know the mystery of the church. They didn't have Ephesians. They didn't have Galatians. They didn't have Romans. They didn't. Oh, my goodness. Would there have been just maybe a, a wall of prejudice up? Maybe. Maybe. But I want you to see this. I'm not going to get you there. So he knocks on the door and he walks in to Antioch and he's just, is there, his job is to discover what's going on here. Let's read it again. Now, wait, wait, wait. Do you think he would have come with some personal baggage, maybe? Like, I don't know if we can really have them except Christ until they're a Jew. Because if they're a Jew, then Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, then you can receive him. You see, how, see that, doesn't that sound really tricky? And I think every Jew would have had a struggle with that. Let's watch Barnabas, though. I'm going to read it again. Verse 23. Who, when he came, he steps in to Antioch and had seen the grace of God, the gift of God, unmerited favor. He was glad. <laughs> Isn't that good? It would, you could have... I know I could have sent a Pharisee kind of a guy there and he would have been mad. What is God doing? Those people are not of us. It says he was glad. Uh, mark this. One of the really important things in getting the right person for the right job is to have the right attitude. Is that not true? Uh, you can take someone that's very qualified, has an incredible knowledge of whatever work that they're going to be into, and they can be the most misfit for the job or the position because their attitude is wrong. Jonah, I'm struggling with him, but God, I don't know. He must have... Let's see, who am I going to send to Nineveh? Ooh, I don't have many people that will go to Nineveh. Obviously, right? Isn't that the, that's what I get out of it. And finally, you know, Jonah, we can work with Jonah. One fish story, and we're going to be on with this guy. He's going to fit the model. We're going to get him to... And it was a reluctancy, wasn't there? See, there could have been that, even a... 
Oh, I suppose if I have to. You know, I'll, I, I, yeah, I'll teach you guys, but you know. <sighs> wow. Right? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? This is, this, is, this is unbelievable because the bottom line, his attitude was one of love. I am happy and in love for you that God would choose you to be saved by Jesus Christ. Isn't that important? I'll tell you what, it's the difference. I can't tell you, and you probably know it from your life experiences, that when you can show love to someone, they hear what you're saying. But until you do that, right? Isn't that true? He was glad. What do you think he did? (laughs) I think he was giving hugs and high fives and he was all over it because he loved the people. He's already, that first quality, that attitude quality is of utmost importance. I'll tell you what, if you can get that about you, any position that God has you fill, you're on the right page. That'll start that job positioning perfectly. He's got an attitude of love. But it goes on beyond that. He was glad and exhorted them all, not some of them, all that that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. In other words, he's encouraging them to do what? This is, again, this is super important stuff. Let's say someone gets saved. Someone comes to Christ. God has done the preparatory work through the Holy Spirit. You have given the message, right? The wages of sin is death. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. You need a Savior. God has done that work within the heart. Yeah, I am a sinner. There's no hope for me. I I can't conquer this. I need something. And the gift of grace is really displayed, and they receive that by faith. What's the first and most important thing that they can do? You see what Barnabas said? Let's read it again. He exhorted, he encouraged them. Oh, that's fantastic. You guys have Christ. But the purpose of your heart, dig in, guys. This is what I really want you to know. You need to cleave unto the Lord. Sounds almost like a marriage, doesn't it? Remember? Cleave unto his wife. Leave, cleave. Isn't that what it is? Leave the world, cleave to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do that? How does, how does a new believer, believe, how, do, how do you do that? How did they do it when the church began in Jerusalem? When you have 3,000 new converts, I mean, I, I would have to say at the end of that, you're all, what do we do now? Right? I mean, 3,000 new believers. And the apostles are saying, what did we just do? What are we, what are we in charge of? What, what do we have going on here? In fact, there probably would have been, I, I'm convinced, because of all the events that had taken just 60 days previous, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would have been what the apostles would have seen as enemies before, and yet through the preparation of the Holy Spirit, preparing that heart for Jesus as being not anything other than Messiah, to be their Messiah, that they find Christ. And you're looking at each other around the room and, whoa, how's this going to work out? Isn't that sometimes you think about the church as a whole and you say, what do we do? The very same thing. You cleave to God. Now, how do we do that? What did the apostles do? How did they respond to this big event of an unfolding and within weeks there was 10,000 new believers? Talk about deer in the headlight look, right? (laughs) It's almost like, ah, 
Pretty soon it's the town of Butte. Can you imagine Butte being newly saved, the whole town? That's beyond wildest imagination, right? Do you know what? That's literally what happened. What do you tell them? What do you tell them to do? What's the right thing to do? Study the word. The apostles, remember, Satan came in and, you know, the best thing Satan will do? This is what he wants you to do now. If you're a new Christian or you're an older Christian, a maturing Christian, he wants to tear you away from the word. Mark your own lives. My life is very, uh, for some reason, some days, uh, I'll get it later. You ever read your Bible later? (laughs) You're smiling. There's no such thing as later. I'll find myself now, and, I'm, and it's amazing. Have you noticed I'm late to everything? <laughs> it's okay. You can tell me. It's okay. I can take it. I'm a big guy, right? It's, I'm late to everything, even though I try, right? But you know what? I'm at this point now, even if I'm late, I find myself saying, you know, I just don't, I don't care. I'm going to go to my office. I'm going to take my Bible, and I'm going to read for just five minutes. God, you take me where you want me to be. And I can trust him that there's going to be a verse. There's going to be a word out of the word that literally just blows up in my mind, and he'll work on that all day long in my life. That's the power of the word. That's what Barnabas says. Cleave to the Lord. How do you do that? Study the word. The apostles, as Satan came from the outside, you know what he did? He said, oh, we've got all of these physical needs. Our widows from you know, the Greek-speaking, the Hellenistic Jews, those would have been outlying areas that had now come to Jerusalem. They have nowhere to go home to because they've trusted Christ. Can you imagine going home to, don't come back here. That's why excommunication in any cult literally has so much power, right? I see it in all of the cults. You believe our way or we'll kick you out. And families kicked them out, Muslims, right now. If you became a Christian, if you're allowed to live, you are going to be excommunicated from the family. There's power in that. So step it up. Now, is there anything wrong with meeting the needs? And of course not. But not, mark this, not at the expense of reducing the time in the Word. The apostle said, hey, tell you what. Guys, you have 10,000 to choose from, maybe even 20,000 at this point. I want you guys to pick out seven men that are full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith and get back to us. We're going to keep studying the Word. We're going to keep teaching the Word. That's why the number one thing for me to do here is teach the Word because that's what they did. That's what every growing church, and when I'm saying growing, not just by numbers, but uh, spiritually internally growing, it has to come from the Word. Why? Why is that? Remember what Jesus said. He says, I'm going to depart so that the Holy Spirit can impart the Word of God. He's literally living with me. The moment you accept Christ, the moment you accept Christ, that's what it said again in 1117. That's my whole purpose of literally of Acts is to show you the Holy Spirit is not an added on to benefit. It's not something you pray for. You get Him. And when he comes on board, he is the one that takes the word and begins to show you truth. Isn't that great? That's an encouragement to know right there. Do not depart from the word. Jesus Christ is tempted by Satan three times in the wilderness. And guess who took him there? If you go there, it says that the Holy Spirit took him to be tempted. Whoa. What did Jesus use? Use the word. What did Satan try to thwart him with? This is, this is really important now. He used bits and pieces out of the scripture 
to get Jesus to do dumb things. Right? It's amazing. You can take a verse. You may say anything you want, want to say. That's why I'm such a stickler on geography and context. I want to know what's happening. I want to know the customs. I want to know what it is time frame so that I un- understand what's taking place. That's really important. Get in the Word. Barnabas says, guys, this is fantastic. This is so cool because it looks like God is working here in Antioch, 300 miles away from where it began. This is exciting to see what's happened, all because of the martyrdom of Stephen. And now you guys are getting it. Cheerio. I'll see you later. See ya. No, 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 no. He said, cleave, cleave to the Lord through the word. In fact, let's keep going. Let's keep going. It talks about some other qualities of the man. We have an attitude of love, but we also see something in verse 24. He was a good man. Uh, the sense of others would see him as righteous, as being good, full of good. You couldn't help but notice that he was just good. It was always the right time to do the right thing. He was full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Ghost. That means he was available. I was thinking about that word. You know, we talk about being full of the Holy Ghost. That's to be controlled by. You know, another word, probably one of the hardest things for us in the world we find ourselves living today. It's so many pulls, right? So many things are pulling at you. Everyone, everything wants you. But you know what? When you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're available for God, right? And when you see full of the Holy Ghost, you also see power. You never see powerlessness and full of the Holy Ghost. It's just it's an oxymoron, right? <laughs> I'm so glad that's true. Oh, I've got a choice to be powerful or be full of the Holy Ghost. No, no, of course not. Full of the Holy Ghost is the fact you're available for God. And when you're available, he empowers you. So he's full of the Holy Ghost. But it also says he's full of faith. He's trusting God with all of his heart. He's on board with whatever God, where he wants to take him. With those three things, a righteousness, full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, and it says much people, that's a really big word in the Greek, it's an amazing amount, was added unto the Lord. Now, the next thing is, is he probably could have been promoted and had himself a really fancy place, and he would have had a nice salary, a very extensive one, because he would have been in charge of all of this stuff. Because he's been elevated. Now, because guess what? He's come from Jerusalem, and he says, this is good. I'm from where it started, and I like what I see. You guys just keep it up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be right here for you. When somebody's full of the Holy Spirit, not only are they available, they go look for more available people. What does he do next? This is cool. Uh, it says that he departed. He departed to Tarsus. Now, look at, not very far away, Tarsus is, you have to point it in the right direction. Tarsus isn't very far from Antioch. Did you see that? Who's hanging out in Tarsus? Paul is. Saul. He's still Saul at this point. Um, what's, he, what's he been doing? What's, what's Saul been doing in Tarsus? You're right. We don't know. He's just hanging out. In fact, probably, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just, you can look that up this afternoon on your own, but there was a whole lot of things that weren't very good, like being stoned and having him. Oh, my goodness. If you want to see something done wrong to a man, that's Paul. And he, in fact, he, the very same things that he did was done to him. That's taken place in Tarsus, hometown. Barnabas says, you know what? This work is too big, too robust. 
Let me go get somebody I know can handle this. I want someone full of zeal, full of energy, full of enthusiasm, and full of the Holy Ghost. I'll be back. And he's, you know, he doesn't even really know where to go. It says, did you see? He's searching for him. Paul is incognito, and I think probably for good reason. His life is in danger, more than likely. The Christians hate him because they don't believe him. And they, the Jews that he used to think were his friends are no longer. When he had found him, verse 26, he brought him on Antioch. And it came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and they had... They had potlucks, and they had achievements, they had activities, they had cruises. Wait, that's probably going to be an answer for us. What did they do for that year? It says they assembled themselves together, and they, what? Did you see it? They taught. They taught the Word. They taught much people. The disciples were called Christians, first in Antioch. Now, we see Christians as a positive thing. In fact, it's almost overused. Um, now, it's becoming less popular now. Uh, in fact, one of the things in the United States is probably popular is not to be a Christian. Have you noticed that trend? But in years gone by when I was growing up, someone could say with acceptance, yeah, I'm a Christian. And that's about the way they'd say it. Yeah, I'm a Christian. It was like that was, I don't know what that meant. But we were known as a Christian nation, correct? Uh, people just inside, this is a factoid, we are not a Christian nation anymore. We don't follow after God. Have you noticed? But it would have been seen with disdain as well here. Um, in Antioch, what did we say about Antioch? Was it a Christian city? No, not at all. Uh, it would have probably been coined, oh, he's a Christian. Did you see the difference? He's of the Christians. Right? Roll the eyes. Eye roll, please. That's what was known as an Antioch. But to those that really were followers of Christ, it became a fix. And there was a time, and there's still a time, when someone says, I'm a Christian. In fact, there was a man that was martyred, and upon continual, I mean, it was just, you know, they, they finally did. They, they tortured him to death, but he would never even give his name. He said, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. That's all that mattered. Isn't that true? That's exactly. In fact, on your gravestone, it could say, he or she was a Christian. I can't think of anything that would be more better than that. You followed Christ, right? What was meant as disdain literally became a note of affection. I'm glad to be called a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I want to do, I want to look like him. I want to follow him so much that God makes me look like him. I think Barnabas looked a lot like Christ. Do you look like Barnabas? How many of you look like encouragers? How many enter the room and it's like, Ah, there's a breath of freshness. There's a breath of refreshment. That person has entered, and I feel better. Isn't that fun to be around those kind of people? It's fantastic. Uh, so my question is, why aren't you one of those? Probably starts right here. What's your attitude? How much are qualities? Uh, are you full of goodness? Do uh, you, you search after righteousness? Are you full of the Holy Ghost? Are you available? Are you opening and yielding to the Spirit at every level? And then are you full of it? Do you really trust God? I'll tell you, if you do, you can't help but be a Barnabas. And I don't know what the female version of Barnabas is, but I don't know. But you can fill that blank yourself, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? And there, it, it's so amazing what Barnabas did for that group of people in Antioch. That's why I'm convinced as they taught for a year, there were people that said, I got to go tell someone else about Jesus. I got to go tell someone else. 
See, that's why you're here today. We're gathered together here today to be encouraged. In fact, let's go to that verse. Um, this is something that I, I just have to, I mean, it's, just, it's just the way it is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 23 and 24. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, 24. You should, should write these down. If nothing else, go to them once in a while. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke or encourage unto love and to other and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, that's lifting up, encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, the end times. I've never seen the end times closer. And you say, well, of course not, because yesterday was further away than it is today. That's correct. Every generation believed they were living in the last days. And when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, that was the beginning of the last days. But I want to be together with you guys so that I can be lifted up. So that when I run into somebody down at the parts store, or we have, who knows, some disaster, that there's a sense of being able to share with a quality, I'm sorry, with an attitude of love, but qualities of being full of the Spirit, being full of faith, trusting God wherever you're at. Doesn't that bring stability? That brings a measurable softness. That's who Barnabas was. They sent the right guy to the right place for the right time, for the right reason. I can't imagine. Uh, honey, let's go to church. We've got Paul. He's still Saul, but we got Saul and we got Barnabas who are teaching today. Whoa, man, get in the car and let's go, right? I mean, I'm like, I can't wait. See, that's how it should be when we're assembling together with, for worship. Lift each other up. I, I, told, I told a couple of guys I'm mentoring, uh, young guys. Now, they're in their 20s. Um, you know, life's just, they're just starting to figure life out, if you will. Figuring out it isn't what they thought it was going to be. There's a part of that, isn't there? It's amazing when you're in high school and you're going to go out and you're going to change the world. And you're smiling because you were there once, right? And then it's like, oh, it's not that easy. The world is difficult. It's a challenge. So these young guys, uh, I told them about church. I said, no, there's something about it. And I, I said, I, I went through it. I remember there was a time in my life that I was told we were going to go to church. It wasn't an option. As I got older, it was like I thought there should be an option. And I was again reminded there was no option. My father was fairly straightforward. But there was also a time, and there's a release, that parents release that one into the quote-unquote world. Now it's a decision. Uh, do I go or do I not go? And for a lot of young people, it's not right now. Later. It's that later category. Isn't that a, that's a big file. There's a lot of stuff going to happen later. Um, and as I shared with these guys, I said, you know, there was a time there. I, I still went, but I was going for the wrong reason. And, I, and they said, well, you know, there's a quiz look. I said, no, really. I would go and I'd say, I don't know if I want to go. I'm just not getting fed. Uh, I apologize if you said that inside of your own hearts and lives and minds, but if that's the reason you're going, you're going for the wrong reason. Did you see these people are lifting up one another? And that's what Barnabas' old message, hey, let's, let's do this together. I said, when I changed from wanting to be fed, which, by the way, you get fed if you go to feed. What do you bring? 
And don't make it any bigger than you have to. Just being there, just partaking, being part of that attitude of love. I'm here for you. What can I do? How can I help you? That feeds, that encourages, that lifts up. And then when you get married and you have little ones, it's amazing how your mind starts, there's consequences. Uh, it's my responsibility to, right? Do you see it? It's amazing how powerful those verses become. The more in tune, the more you sense the responsibility factor. But when we're together right now, see, your, your batteries are being charged. Not because of me. No, no, a thousand times no. It's because of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working within you. That's where the power is. Now, I don't know what your week was like. I would just roll my eyes. <laughs> that's all I can do. But you know what gives, me, what gives me the recharge, the energy, the encouragement? Is being with you in the Word. And when I get in the Word every day, the Holy Spirit, who lives in me, is exhibiting, flourishing, the power of the word. That's who Barnabas was. That's who he was. And that's who we should be. Now, there's moments we have our moments, right? It's the ones that I'm not. That's the moments I want to not be that. How do we do that? It's the same deal. Get in the word. You're depressed? Get in the word. You're optimistic? Get in the word. There's not a situation in which you should not be in the word. Now, again, don't, don't, don't do this. Don't take a time and it's... Sometimes it's short. That's, that's okay. That's okay. I trust God enough. My heart is full of faith enough to know that he can take one word out of his word and make my day more fulfilling when I trust him for that. There's other times it can be an hour to crack. Just sit down. I just, just enjoy just sitting there reading it. Right? It's the same word. There's power in that word. Now it says, let's finish out. In those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit, the Spirit spoke through him, that there should be great dearth or a drought throughout all of the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, interesting enough, if you go through history in that time period, probably from like 41 AD to 49 AD, there were numbers of droughts throughout the entire world, but primarily in this region. And I'm talking serious. There was many people in Judea that actually died. They didn't have enough money to, to access food. It was, it was horrifying. So Agabus is laying this out. He says, there's going to be a great drought in the area, and it's going to come to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, how do, we, how do we receive that message today? If someone came into this place right here and said, get ready for the future, the stock market's going to crash, it's, just, it's going to be total meltdown, what's, our first, what's the first thing we think about? It's okay, just, just be honest, what, what is it? Uh, let's see, what am I going to do? How, how can I prepare for my family? How can, did, did I do okay? Did you see it was pretty limited? This is what makes this thing really crazy, is what they responded as. Okay. Now, I'm not saying you should not take care of your family. Do not go away from here. But did you, what, let's keep reading now, because I think I set you up. Because if you think about how individualized we think in the sense of an oncoming and foreboding tragedy, it's a little bit too small-minded. 
Let's watch what they do. Now, this is, again, this is a beginning church. This is Gentile in nature. They're already going to be struggling with identity because Jerusalem is still running this show. This is early on in the Gentile world of evangelization. They have been told that in Judea, that's back in the Jew land, that they're going to be struggling. What would be the other response? Well, they're Jews. They can take care of themselves. Right? This is a beginning church. You could use that. Hey, man, we're just getting started here. I mean, now let's think about this. I mean, we're growing, and we've got all of these needs, and, you know, I'll tell you what. You mark this. Just as there's a foundation of a church and in doctrine laying truth with love out, as it grows, there's also an attribute or quality of generosity. Generosity. It's amazing how you see that. I, I'm thinking of of uh, my Mexicans, my team, and I, I use that carefully because I care for them. I love them a lot. And I, I would just ask as a, as a group if you would pray for my guys. They're going through some tough stuff. I've got some decisions that need to be made. Hopefully will be made right for them to be made better, okay? But there's something about third world nations that literally put us to shame in generosity. Um, for instance, uh, uh, Benito, uh, and I'm not picking, I just, he's the one, I'm, he's been with me 27 years. And his father just passed away, his mother passed away a couple of years ago with COVID. And it's amazing how he would tell me within their family, there's like nine kids, and they just pony up. Or let's, let's say a brother of a brother, there's a, something that's come in their life, they send money. The generosity in a third world country, my friends, makes Americans look sick. And here we have a setup I think is the same. Jerusalem, it's not, it's not drought yet, but it's going to be really bad. Look at how they think about this. In, in Antioch, 300 miles away. Then the disciples, watch this, every man according to his ability. This isn't about tithing. This is every man according to his ability. This is God working in the hearts of men and women. Determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. In other words, not only did they send it, they took the best two guys that are leading them, and they said, you guys, you need to go home. Take this, take this gift. We want to be generous to our brothers in Judea. They're going to be going through some tough times. That's marks of a Christian. Generosity. Now, again, it doesn't say everyone did. There's, there's, no, there's no guilt there. It's just a matter of what every man weighed, every woman weighed their hearts and said, what can I do? What should I do for those around me? Isn't that good? This, look, this church here is just beginning and it's fantastic. My heart's felt desire is that I can exhibit some of those qualities. I want my attitude to be of love. The verse that I just keep thinking of, the one I share with my the young men that I, that I mentor, is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Let's go there. We'll close out there. In Ephesians chapter 4, and actually, uh, turn to chapter 2, verse 20. It shows about really how the church began. This is exactly right. Paul wrote, writing Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It says that are built are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. There is only one foundation, and once that's built with that, then you can move on. But take a look now in verse 14 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Just turn over the page, and let's find this. Uh, that we henceforth be no more children... 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What's the key? Speaking the truth in love. You want to make a difference in your world? Speak the truth in love. Now, we can sometimes let them have the truth. Full two barrels and not a lot of love. Just kawowski, right? You know, repent or go to hell. That's really effective in most cases. You know, these guys wearing these signs around the football games. I'm not going to say no one is touched by that, but it's usually touched in the wrong way. And then there's just love. No truth necessary. Just love. Oh, Wrong. If you don't get the truth right, there's nothing to love. Speak the truth in love. I think I still say Barnabas, he was an encourager. What made him really, really a good encourager was his heart's attitude was love. When you can love someone, they will hear the truth. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. That's in families, that's in churches, that's in the world. When somebody is there to help. I, I, this, is, this is just a classic church, and we don't even know that much about it. We don't even know the guys that founded it. We know the guys that served it. Stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. The Holy Spirit will guide you. It's given to everyone that's believed. Everyone that's trusted Christ as Savior. I'm going to encourage you this week to look a little bit more like Barnabas. Ladies, what are you going to call it? We got Barney and we have, what's the ladies? Barbie. Barbie. <laughs> Barbie and Barney. Give the real message to Barbie, right? How are you going to do that? Yeah, you start with love in the Word. The more you're in the Word, the more the Word comes out of you. The more you're in the Word, the more the Spirit comes out of you. The more you're in the Word, the more you get filled with the Spirit. Isn't that good? It's the Word. The Word, the Word, the Word. That's the hub of everything. You will find if you're struggling right now, if you're, I'm not going to say backslidden. I don't really like that word, but whatever. But you know what I mean by it. It's like you're, you're kind of on the out, you're just not catching up. You're not, you know what I mean? You're just not with, you're not with, you're not, that's the Word, right? You're not cleaving to God. A backslidden condition is like you're still kind of hanging on to the world. Right? I'll tell you this right now. If you're in that state where the world is more appealing than the Savior, you're not in the Word. You're not in the Word. Maybe you read verses. You're not in the Word. I can't tell you how many times in my lifetime I just going to, you know, I've read a chapter and I say, Larry, your mind wasn't there. Try it again. And I'm sad to say I've had to do that sometimes several times. When I'm okay, that was good. Right Now I'm there. That's what I want you to do this week. Get in the Word. And you know what God will do to you? You're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such, there is no law because the world literally cannot judge you for those fruits because those are things that are unbelievably generous. And the people you come in contact with will notice. They may not tell you. It's not important. They'll just see a little more of Jesus in you. That's what Jesus wants you to be, is be a message before you speak a message. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the church that we began in that place in Antioch, the first Gentile church. Oh, at least seven years after the Feast of Pentecost, which the Jerusalem church got off its feet, got on its feet, Father, and got started. But Father, you had to do some foundation work. The apostles needed to teach the truths, the principles of Scripture. They needed to grow. They needed to express the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit on those first 3,000 came that very day. That was the first day, the first day of the rest of their lives. Father, it's an amazing story as we see Acts unfold, how the church was formed and where we are with it today. Father, we just need more of the Word. We need more of Jesus in everything that we do and say. Uh, be with each one of these here today. Father, you know them intimately more than they even know themselves, as hard as it is for them to believe or for even us to think about. But you're an infinite God. You know us before it even happens. You knew that we needed Jesus before you even made Adam and Eve. Uh, truly magnificent, Father, in your love and grace, which you unfold and you accept our faith, which you even give to us in itself. Because, Father, it's all of you. Prepare hearts that need to know you personally. But those that have accepted Christ, Father, that you would instill within them the desire to go to another level. It would still instill within them the, the want to, to be full of the Holy Ghost. Because the fuller of the Holy Ghost we are, Father, that our attitude becomes more loving. May we look like Barnabas. May we be that person that can walk into a room and the love of Jesus fills it. That encouragement just becomes part of us. Uh, Father, you used Barnabas to a magnificent level. Paul literally probably would not have even been discovered unless Barnabas, it's told to us earlier in Acts that he brought him before the brethren and said, this is Saul, the one that has come to Christ, the one that's life has been turned around, that he's believed and turned. Father, thank you for Barnabas. Thank you for our lesson today. Thank you for what you're accomplishing in our lives, just slowly, moment by moment, but making us what you want us to be as we yield to you. I pray for our nation, Father. Our nation needs Jesus desperately, desperately needs a Savior. Um, at the highest levels of Congress and the, the executive branch, Father, they need Jesus. It's never too late to call out to you, just as the people in Nineveh, as wretched and as immoral as possible could be imagined, they repented. Father, may our people of this nation repent and turn to you. May Jesus be one. We thank you for what you'll do. You're powerful, sovereign, and God in every way. To you we kneel and bow humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen.